Hi everyone, this is Gilad. This is Nathan. And we are here at Bike Banther, here with you once a week, every Thursday. Please join us for some fun here bike we go. Talk. So we're recording. Yes, we are. Hi everyone, I have a couple of things to say uh, before we start our awesome episode today. Uh, we're sorry about last week. That was unexpected. We were supposed to have a podcast. Uh, things happen. Life happened to people. And <clears throat> we just couldn't do it. And then yesterday, we were supposed to record, but we had a little uh, oopsie-daisy in the, in the bike shop. And we just couldn't record. So we're going to record today. And actually, it's going to be pretty much like a live one. Because I'm going to record, and then I'm going to go edit it and post it. And we have a guest today. But I'm going to give the mic to Nathan right now. And he's going to introduce our special guest. I'm going to have fun with this. Go for it. Hey, everybody. Nathan here. We have Jenny Slada here with us today, and she has lots of different aspects of cycling and nutrition and just many things to talk about with us. So um, we're really excited to have her and here. I know Gilad and I both probably have things that we want to ask her about nutrition. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost positive that we're going to have some... You can introduce yourself much better than I can. So, Jenny? Um, yeah, Jenny Slada wife of Landshark Bicycles. You had John here mm-hmm. months yep. ago. and um, most, the, um, Number one episode. Yeah, yeah, that's number one of our one number one episodes. Because yeah. he's, he's a lot more funny than I am. <laughs> so he's <laughs> very quick. Um, yeah, so I just retired from a professor at SOU for 28 years in um, the health department. Well, actually, they, they changed her name, so it's the... Um, health and exercise science department and uh, I taught exercise physiology and nutrition nutrition for performance and research methods during my time there and I've been racing bicycles for a very long time road bikes Mm-hmm. And uh, I've gotten into gravel over COVID or during COVID mm-hmm. because I had no road racing and there's a learning curve there for me mm-hmm so I have a lot to get better at for gravel. Within road, what was your specialty? You did a lot of hill climbs, I know that. You had many, many, many championships with hill climbing. I did. In my uh, mid-40s, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a lot of really great hill climbs. Mm-hmm. And But I also raced road, all, you know, for forever. And, uh, yeah, so the um, my first really good win was at Mount Baldy when I was was pretty young still in my 20s but then in my mid 40s you know I was able to get records on Mount Hood and Mount Ashland and Mount Shasta Mm -hmm. and almost Mount Diablo but Mm -hmm. I was 44 and Flavia Oliveira came and she was a pro cyclist really good really like probably the best climber in the country Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I crashed the record and so did she and we went head to head (laughs) and she got me by three seconds and then she headed to Italy to race on a pro team like the day after three seconds out of how long like how long it was like 30 minutes an hour an hour and three seconds so it actually no it's uh it was my time was 51.40 and her time was 51.37 but I have to say years later then a couple of years later she came back from she you know was racing pro for a long time in europe and she came back and she did i think she was in the 48 so that is now the record and i think i'm sitting at you know second wow. there but you know so that so that was good um i just did 
Diablo a couple days ago, and now at 58, I was an hour and six minutes. Mm -hmm. So the the whole age thing has been uh, definitely challenging for me. You know, getting slower every year, as many people do. And do you feel like is it like a uh, linear kind of yeah. thing, or does it does it go in like two years? All of a sudden, it's three yeah. minutes slower on something, or is it more just really gradual? Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's gradual. And it seems to be the the cut there is about 50, and then mm-hmm. you you see this decline. And certainly for me, it went to 51, and and I was riding really well climbing mm-hmm. until I was 51. And then I had my thyroid taken out, and it seemed to coincide with a drop in performance, mm-hmm. and it was a big drop for me. Hmm. And then after that big drop. It was a slow, now it's a, a linear. Now we're talking a linear decline, but there was a really big drop in the beginning. So um, can I ask a question that's maybe a little bit on both, touches both ends of what you do. Do, do I hear an echo? No. All right. Um, and the question is goes like this. Do you, th- so I think like you would agree that athletes now can sustain, it seems like high performance longer, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. it seems like there are older athletes now that are yeah. still in the top level, in in a lot of sports, not just cycling. Mm-hmm. So how much of it do you think is just really the science of it? Like we learn now how to eat better. There's also the thing when you're older, for me anyway, and I'm sure Nathan, you would agree with me, is that there's a lot of like knowledge that you get about yourself and your body, like how to suffer. I always say like, as a kid, I just did things because I did them. And then now I'm like, no, I can actually like go into this pain cave and, you know, kind of dig in deeper, which I didn't know how to do that as a kid, but I just had, I don't know, uh, talent is not fair. I was just training differently. And then lastly is how much of like the decline you're seeing is also from just your life being busy. Like as an adult, you're much busier Mm -hmm. than you were when you were younger. So is there, so I know it's a complex question, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm yeah. going to answer it in pieces. I all think right. all yeah, yeah. I think all of that plays into it. Um, but there there is no denying that there's a physiological reason for the decline. Sure. There's a physiolo- you, you know, there's 10% drop in VO2 max every decade. So a 1% a year basically. Yeah. And I I can't remember. It may maybe starts after age 30 or you know, and and you can attenuate that. You can slow that down. How do you do that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so... so uh, I think I'll everybody wants to know the answer to that. So I'll just I'm gonna say there's about 10... I could, I could list like 10 physiological reasons for that decline yeah. in max VO2. Uh-huh. You know, there's a decrease in stroke volume and ability to, to, to take oxygen in the mitochondria and a shift to anaerobic glycolysis as, first, as opposed to aerobic metabolism. It go, you know, there's all these things. So, so you can't deny that, and you're not going to overcome that. But you can attenuate it, that you know, and slow slow down the decline. So, if if we're talking about training, and we're talking about you know attenuating the decline, what typically happens as we get older, and as masters athletes, we want to go out and I'll just say ride or train every day. And a lot of times people are retiring, so they you know they have maybe more time, mm-hmm. but. Th- taking into your, you know, are our lives busier? That's true, too. So it, it just depends on the person. But um, basically, master's athletes, they want to 
it, it's hard for them to shift their training, right? Because they're used to it a certain way, and now things have changed. And so they want to go out and ride every day, and so you kind of get, oh, you kind of get into this um, regression towards the mean. Is what what we say is that basically you're you know you're just going out and you're riding in the sweet spot every day, and y you never you're always a little tired from that, mm -hmm. so you can never really do the hard interval days. Mm -hmm. So you just keep staying in this this zone. You keep riding at eighty five percent every day. You, you keep riding at eighty five percent, and so that is not going to help with the decline. Mm -hmm. You have to keep the intensity days. So then are you saying that for most athletes it would be better to do a day off or a day doing yoga or something like that and then two days later do an interval day mm -hmm. and then not do the long 85% yeah. days yeah, at so all? Or just there's not a lot of, um There's a lot of new stuff coming out about the polarized training, mm -hmm. which is, you know, doing the having basically two intense days a week mm -hmm. and the rest of the time riding in your aerobic zone. Mm -hmm. And I think I've always kind of done that um, without just because that worked for me. So, yeah, to, to maintain two hard days a week and have them separated by, especially if you're a master's athlete, two to three days. Mm -hmm. You know, have two days that, not necessarily where you're doing yoga and you're taking a whole day off, but you're riding in the aerobic zone. So below the sweet spot, below the tempo, but in the aerobic zone. And incorporating, making sure you have the recovery days in there too, which may be just, um, and my husband hates this, John hates it, but riding on the bike path, mm -hmm. easy for an hour, is a really important recovery. And then hitting the hard interval day when you're recovered enough to do it. And so wh what does that hard day look like? Um, in, in my experience, I used to coach, and that is the hardest thing with athletes is the days where the day is hour and 20 minutes cadence 110 heart rate 105 they're like ah that yeah you gotta find the flattest flat and you gotta have you know they basically riding the easiest gear sometime just to maintain low heart rate high cadence but you have to flush you gotta let your system rest you gotta let your nerves like come down like it's you know, when you exercise, people think of the muscles, but the muscles are used using nerves to fire those muscles. And it's not just that. Like in, And it's not like there's one nerve per muscle. I mean, you can probably speak more about it, but every muscles have multiple, like every uh, strain of muscles, which are like this thick, how much, what is that? A quarter of an inch thick will have a nerve going through them. And to activate that requires a lot of effort. So like when you exercise and correct me if i'm wrong because i could be wrong um one third of the effort is actually into working your brain so one third of the effort goes to the brain sending the signals to then work the system and that requires a certain effort too like that's part of your effort the whole total of your effort i mean our brains are really big glucose hogs in the first place so yes. mm -hmm. there's that but so there is that, and that, that's good that you bring bring that up because athletes, not to switch the subject, we can go back, but no. athletes on the ketogenic diet, that's a, that's a mistake. Hmm. That's, you know, or the intermittent fasting diet or any of those fad diets. Um, most exercise physiologists, in fact, every exercise physiologist I know um, is completely against it, and all the research that I know for athletes you know doesn't support those diets either go for it. it so so glucose yeah your brain no, takes like 25 percent of the glucose or something you know it's a high amount he and i both do 
intermittent fasting now. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, but so here's the interesting thing. So I, and and maybe there's a, a, a reason for this that can be explained better than my just anecdotal, like my own personal results and things. But so um, I used to always bonk really bad. Mm-hmm. Very short period into riding, like an hour into riding, I'd go really hard, I'd bonk and eat some food, go for another 30 minutes, bonk, repeat, repeat, repeat. I'd, you know, wake up, have breakfast. If I didn't get a couple snacks before my lunch ride, I'd bonk on the lunch ride, like short rides, and I'd mm-hmm. bonk, right? And and my attitude and mental awareness would go up and down all day long, just a nonstop roller coaster ride of blood sugar, basically, right? And very, very um, unpredictable for me. Like, I had no predicting how I was going to perform at a given time because I just never knew when that thing was going to hit. And so I started intermittent fasting in stages i worked up to it in stages so i started skipping breakfast and you know just drinking some coffee and then it it worked okay and then i got rid of cream and sugar in the coffee and just a little bit of black coffee in the morning and then got really into like just no breakfast a little bit of black coffee no cream and sugar so zero calories uh i can go for a ride after that two three hours no bonk at all like none and steady energy the whole time i can ride later in the day two or three p.m same deal uh and then at five or six i'll eat my you know just eat a ton of food basically so i know it's weird um but my my ability to ride longer distances at a pretty good pace is better than it's ever been in my life and for the last couple two three years it's been like that so um, well, I, I want to say something. We we actually have to share a microphone, so we have this weird thing that's happening right now. I can't just butt in, which is maybe good. Um, I want to be fair because you 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 can't see it, obviously, the audience. But Jen, he's like twisting, and her stomach <laughs> is twisting right now as she's listening to us say this. It's very anecdotal, and it's completely random that both me and him have similar response to it. And to be really fair, like my grandpa, who was an athlete for very far into his life like to the 80s right like when he was 80s he was doing like pull-up competitions with me like who can do more pull-ups but um he used to do that and i thought it was really weird but he said oh i changed my life and he used to do this like we're talking about 15 20 years ago and so it very much could be that there's something specific to us that works i'm not saying i don't recommend it i mean i do recommend it because it has changed a lot of how i how i do things but I don't think that's the solution. And by the way, here's an important thing, Nathan. We talked about that. Is what constitutes an athlete is something we always talk about. And so I had a measurement that I don't know if it's true or not. So I want to see what you say. So what constitutes for you an athlete? What is scientifically an athlete, I guess? Because there very much could be that we're not athletes. And so this works for us, right? Well, I don't know. I think you probably are. I think it's individualistic. I think it's, you know... Um, I think to have that response is actually pretty unusual. And the research literature in the exercise science world doesn't support it. Doesn't support it. So, you know, um, you, if, if I did what you did, I, I wouldn't make it past a couple miles. I know there's lots of people. I, mean, I know that that's a very common thing. So with the research, like I don't doubt it at all, but I'm curious what it is. It's, mm-hmm. Are they taking people who are athletes and then mm-hmm. within two weeks saying, well, we're going to make you not eat for in two weeks and see if you can go out and do the same mm-hmm. thing? Because I couldn't have done that. No, and and to be yeah. totally fair, like if I had told myself this about myself five years ago, if I told myself, 
you know what you need to do, Nathan? You need to start doing this intermittent fasting thing because it's going to be so good. I would have laughed at myself mm-hmm. because everything I knew before that was like, I can't go... I can't go 40 minutes without eating or I'll bonk mm-hmm. because that's how it was. That, that was my life. Right, so. and I, I think it also depends on what you were eating mm-hmm. and whether it was high glycemic, whether it was low glycemic, how many calories. Mm-hmm. And usually, I mean, what the literature really supports and what most athletes do is that they have typically a, a large meal. Mm-hmm. Most athletes do it three hours before a competition. I do it two because mm-hmm. three is a little long for me mm-hmm. but i tend to be nervous too so i can't eat a very large meal mm-hmm. and and an extra hour of sleep if i'm sleeping is more beneficial mm-hmm. than getting up an, another hour early oh, for sure yeah you know getting up at four or four thirty is is not ideal i'm not a great sleeper so for me you know that would mean maybe a couple hours of sleep if i'm lucky and so and then and then to be sipping on sports drinks leading up to it and then to have some uh, simple um, uh, carbohydrate, you know, chews, a goo, you know, before you start a bar, and then you're constantly taking in that first hour. You, um, like, there's a junior that I know, and, and he he starts eating. I mean, my God, we're like we're like you know, 15 minutes into a, a gravel thing. If it's a neutral rollout, mm-hmm. and he's eating, mm-hmm. and I'm like. And he's really got it. He's got it totally down. He mm-hmm. never bonks. He and he he just makes sure he's getting something in a bar or something like every thirty minutes, mm-hmm. and he keeps that glucose level high. How- and 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 so so it depends a lot of like what you're eating and what the glycemic level is. Because if you're eating something like a bagel, mm-hmm. you're just going to spike your you know. So how much how much can you how much energy can you store readily in your bl- like? Mm. So you know what I mean, like before you have to either re re up or um, convert fuels. So you want to re up before, right? Before yeah. so the bonk. <laughs> how much? How hard can you go? How long can you go before you bonk? Like, I guess what's what is the maximum? How full can you make your tank? Let's say of readily available blood sugar or glucose. Yeah, I mean, usually, yeah, it's going to be variable from one person to another. I mean, they say twenty four to forty eight hours that if you're eating, you know, glucose meals. Um, so you still have glucose, like, but how much glucose you do you store have? Because you store your, you store, you know, for usually about an hour and a half mm-hmm. for the average person. But you want to be taking in fuel before that so you don't hit the bonk. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, if you're doing steady aerobic exercise, mm-hmm. yeah, you're going to tap more into your fat stores. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing high intensity exercise, you really want you're going to be tapping into your glycogen and glucose. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that readily available, then that's going to create a bonk too. It's in, I've tried both this like in actual racing now, and so like the the racing I do is enduro racing, mm-hmm. which um, I don't know if it has a road counterpart in like in in what it's like. like but I it's, don't know. it's enduro is. It's you're in your aerobic zone. You're going up. Yep. And so you're not doing the high intensity. And then you're in anaerobic for three or five minutes. Coming down. When coming down, and then you go back to aerobic going back Are you, up. How you high come, is your heart rate coming down? It's as much as it's going to be. Uh-huh. So whatever my max is right now, uh-huh. I don't know what my max is right now, but whatever my max uh-huh. was, it'd be right there. So yeah. would you say when you're coming down, that's the same thing as going flat out hard going uphill? If you went flat oh, out as hard as you could. Standing up, sprinting yeah. as hard as you can okay. to the point of almost vomiting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's that mm-hmm. It's that much. It's different because you're actually, um, 
I would say it's more like hopping on one of those uh, Nautilus machines that you have at the gym mm-hmm. where you work your entire body mm-hmm. and like doing a five minute interval on that thing mm-hmm. at full effort. So, so mm-hmm. arms, Basically, legs, like everything. True VO2 max. Yeah. So like true VO2 max, like what they do with rowers. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the. It's weird because people think of downhill racing as like, oh, you're just coasting downhill. But the reality is. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't think that. But you can you can get done with a five minute downhill race and i can be breathing and tasting whatever that chemical thing is you taste when you do hard hard intervals mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. like that from only 10 pedal strokes the whole thing so the rest of it's all just entire body movement going on mm-hmm. i'm gonna hand back to Gilad for a second it's important because i have i <laughs> i i want to i want to say something in advance that is i don't want to contradict you because what you're saying is right and that we are anecdotal. We also have, was really me, for instance, the whole intermittent fasting, I'm just saying this really quickly, was really like, I felt like there was one aspect of my life that I wasn't controlling, and that was my hunger, and my need to eat nonstop. And I was like, it was more of like control mm-hmm. yeah. than anything else. And then I found out that it's also pretty amazing for the type of writing I do right now. Mm-hmm. But to be fair, Nathan, I think that if we were right now like training, like if I you had a coach and they would train you and they would send you out and say, okay, you're doing uh, you're doing a you know a, a pyramid of intervals three times. It's four minute, six minute, eight minute, down to six minutes, back down to da, 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 four minutes, rest for five minutes, and then boom again. And you have to do three of those, and it's like you know whatever power ratio you need to have or, or range you need to have. I don't know that we will be able to get the same power without this glyco- glycogen in our blood and in our yeah, uh, in and, our body. And you may have the glycogen from the big meal you have at the night, night which isn't yeah. ideal, though. I mean, you basically want to have your bigger meals in the day and your lighter meal at night. So I, 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 the other thing is I don't want to make this just about that because I don't think it's fair to, like, a, like I don't want to be, like, attacking... Jenny and oh, what she science. knows the science because it's not fair it's, it, and uh, one one thing I want to say and then I'll, I'll give you the microphone 90s um, like what we thought was good for eating mm-hmm. is so drastically different than what it is right now and so I think the science just because it's not science about something it's sometimes because the science is just hasn't caught up yet mm-hmm. like there wasn't enough research done or just not enough people did it but as parents doing it and say it's the best thing ever and i've seen it with if it's clipping or not clipping disc breaks i mean i've seen it with equipment and i've seen it with training i remember when uh, lance was winning or or miguel and Durin was winning everyone was like oh high cadence and you know that's the best thing to do and then um jan orlich won on like basically big ring everything and everyone's like oh big ring is the best way to train and that this is how we should do it so i wonder how much of the science is basically just the science that we have right now. So this yeah. is just to be fair. Yeah, I mean, they do have science on the intermittent fasting. And you, I, I don't know when you eat your first meal, but you do have to recognize that if you if you sleep all night, then it's like your tank is on empty. Mm-hmm. And and then you don't eat breakfast. Okay, so what, what does your body do in that state? It's got to be burning fat, right? So it's going to be burning fat, and you're going to be burning muscle. You're going to be breaking down the muscle because your brain, for one thing, needs that constant supply of glucose. It needs a constant supply. And your muscles primarily utilize glucose for functioning Mm -hmm. during exercise and more and more of it with intense exercise. So you break down your muscles when you don't eat 
And what that does is you release amino acids from the muscle breakdown, goes to the liver, the liver takes those amino acids, converts it to glucose through a process of gluconeogenesis, then shoots it back out into the bloodstream. That's what happens when you don't when you don't eat. So yeah, you're burning fat and you're burning muscle. So a lot of people do intermittent fasting diet because they lose weight. But some of that weight loss, I mean, definitely fat, but some of it's mm-hmm. quite Overall a bit body of it is, mass is, loss, is muscle right? mass too. So, you know, what what is your aim? And so I I because the there's been so many um, I don't want to say fad diets, but you know, experimental diets diets with higher fat for mm-hmm. athletes they did that um and the university of colorado sports medicine and performance lab sees so many athletes coming in that are on some of these diets intermittent fasting or ketogenic or and or you know that they're trying to um the the athletes power has gone way down they can't lose weight in fact they've gained body fat um, their thyroid's off, their testosterone's low, their hemoglobin's low, they're iron deficient, and get my microphone up. Um, and uh, and they, they ask them, you know, what are they doing? Well, you know, like eating more fatting day. Uh, during training, lo and behold, his power dropped 60 watts uh-huh. over, you know, during this time period. And, you know, the, re- the, the result was um, that what they ended up doing with this is a particular athlete that it came out. It's actually in Velo News, um, but it comes out from the University of Colorado Sports Medicine Performance Lab, and they have a, a ton of. In fact, I I should send you the article. It's it's based on chronic fatigue, and they had the athlete. Um, and this is what they do with all the athletes that come in that are complaining of this. But you know, he had to take two weeks off, and he had to gradually increase that carbohydrate intake, regular carbohydrate intake. And uh, then the next two weeks, he could ride moderate for an hour and a half, and then he'd go back into training. And they had to, and his glycogen stores were very low in his in his muscles, you know, at the beginning. So they had to get the glycogen stores back up, and it was a quite a process. And um, and that's just that's just one story, but that's the that's the typical protocol that they use, and they see this like all the time now because of these diets. Mm-hmm. And you know, within a couple months, the athlete had been back, got back to his. Um, original mm-hmm. power output and um, training status and performing well in races. Um, so his thyroid readjusted. Instead of giving him thyroid medication, they increased his glucose yeah. intake, <laughs> his steady glucose intake to increase the glycogen so he'd have something to train on. His testosterone turned around, his red blood cells, um, his iron came back up, his uh-huh. hemoglobin came back up. Um, he needed that rest period, though, too, because what was he doing? He was training... Harder, 25 hours a week mm-hmm. on low glycogen. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so yep. there was this uh, dramatic physiological response to that that wasn't going to change overnight just by increasing glucose. He had to actually take off and and rebuild. So for me, um, and now I do these long gravel races, and I have that bonking problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have a lot of reserves. I'm really small, and um, my, you know, Mine comes more around three hours, mm-hmm. and so I really have to work with that. And I, I work with it by eating much more now, you know, getting stuff. I don't want to, and it's harder in gravel because you know it's bumpy. It's, it's hard. bumpy, it's hard and to, you know it's, it's really hard for me to get control. in my pocket, yeah. and 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 I'm not very good at gravel. 
so you know so it's a constant thinking about it um and and you know getting the getting the the nutrients in at the early on but i also use scratch makes a great product Mm -hmm. for someone like me where it's 400 calories um in a bottle water bottle so um so i take two water bottles i have 800 calories so that's good and then that forcing forcing yourself to drink however it's a large glucose load and if it's really hot and humid out you have to be so that's a concern bottle of that so you have it so you can, mm-hmm. you, yeah, can they do. you can they have do. also yeah i i, I want to have like this disclaimer mm-hmm. really important nathan <laughs> i think for both of us to be aware of it what works for us doesn't mean that it works for everyone mm-hmm. and you know there's like the famous like barefoot guy right the, this book about the barefoot running and it does work for some people it also worked for some people in some areas it's not like you can just do it but this was a fad that caused damage to a lot of people. So there is no magic bullets. I think at the end of it, there's no magic bullets. And, and by the way, just like we talked about, like uh, before this recorded, we talked about fitting and how fitting changes. We have to change our diets as we age and as we change, right, to our lifestyle. And so it might work for you now. Two years from now, you might say you have a different tune, right? We, and, and it's okay. I think the, big, the biggest thing about believing in the science and believing in in like what we have to offer as athletes is to know that one thing right like there's i probably oh, like if i feel like there's a reduction in my ability i probably will change something and food for me always was like 80 percent of my training is food therefore that's the first place i will go to right so if, if you would feel like you're gonna s- like sharply decline in your ability i'm sure that you will look at food and say okay maybe it's not working anymore i mean is that something you agree about or also you yeah absolutely i mean i i'm just listening to all this with a completely open mind and thinking like i'm just very curious about this and i have wondered why i mean i just did a complete blood panel for totally separate reasons recently and my values were absolutely in the middle of everything my except for my hemoglobin count was way up on the high side of things but everything else was like totally normal well that's good are you training 25 hours a week no though? that's so? the other thing i was <laughs> thinking too while we were all talking so here i was, I was like well you know about the I high end yeah the, I, you know the it, 20 20 hour yeah plus i think it'd be way different for me if i was actually hour. training that much i would be more i'm probably getting like a really big week for me right now would be 10 hours mm-hmm. so so that's different. so that's a different thing yeah that is a different yeah, thing it's a different thing for you sure. know and and the other um thing i was gonna say they they did a you know they've done this research where they gave athletes increase their fat intake Mm -hmm. lower the carbohydrate to see if they would um be able to burn fat more efficiently so that over the long run you know they'd be able to burn fat and and save their 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 uh, glycogen stores for higher intensity and what they found was yes if you give an athlete more fat they will definitely become more efficient at burning fat and their performance will also go down hmm. D- uh, def- across okay. the board <laughs> wait, wait define performance uh endurance for hours or cert- sprinting efforts um, or like it's an average right like they do like well is it an average though i'm not well, sure that's what i know power output intense you know being able to you know like 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 if you're going to do a hard effort for an hour mm-hmm now that now that you're not performing at the same level okay so less distance in an hour than they would have done before um i think less power output less power output less slower time less power output on a higher fat diet okay 
So lower performance. But, but yes, lower. I mean, yes. I mean, that's a known thing. Like so, for and tell me if this is because I used to coach. I'm not interested in how much how much wrongness I give to my <laughs> people that I coach. But for me, as I always in the winter. When we did the, so after the break, we would go do the, you know, the build up, like the brick, like the long rides. So, you know, under VO2, so it'd be like, you know, 130 heart rate usually for these young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and there'll be like, you know, the three, four, five, six hour, like big rides, right? Um, and I would say like slow burn, like screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you, it, it always goes back to the same thing. There's a lot, been a lot of research done yeah. with all that, and it still comes back to the, you know, the athlete should be having, well, it's 40, regardless it was of training, 40%, but it was 40% seven, 70, yeah. 75% um, carbohydrate. But so play with your fat around that. Regardless of the intensity? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm very shocked, actually. That's great. I mean, I didn't... So wait, are, we, are you saying that maybe the I mean, old you could go down to maybe 65% carbohydrate, but mm-hmm. not, not lower. Wait, so where's protein in that? So protein should be about 15% of your total um caloric intake be no not that, okay we'll say we'll say 65 to 75 percent in your in your um scenario and, and it's regardless of the time of the year the training type mm-hmm. really that's the that's the la- latest data and that's the really data. always been substantiated in exercise physiology interesting exercise science so, oh always so basically um, my, you my, could look at any exercise phys textbook and they're, they're going to say that well, well, I did, but then, you know, you were reading, like, Lance Armstrong stuff when he started doing stuff. Well, he stuff. was weighing his fat. He had 10% fat in his diet. Yes, but he was also talking about the different times of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, like we have different phases of the body, different mm-hmm. phases of training, and how your, obviously, your um, your food intake changes for that. Yeah. Like, so, all right. Well, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> sorry for everyone that I've heard before. <laughs> <laughs> but but what you're okay. saying is that also like my I remember when I was a kid like saying back to junior we would take potatoes like baked potatoes mm-hmm. and I mean that <laughs> yeah potatoes are good you know I mean back to the you have you get back into okay well what are the carbohydrates well you, right. you know the the complex carbohydrates the complex carbo- and the, yeah right and you know and you want lower glycemic um, before training sure. before and you want high glycemic during you want high glycemic right after and then you want a lower complex carbohydrate you know carbohydrate protein issue and this one is athletes we're talking about not power athletes we're talking about distance athletes we're talking about endurance athletes yeah correct uh, yeah what abs- about the protein intake after a workout is that a thing or yeah no it is a thing okay absolutely and chocolate and milk still so the best? you know um <laughs> Uh, chocolate milk has some some advantages. Magical, yeah, yeah, it, it does, and it's it's because the ratio of carbohydrate to protein is about. Um, Isn't it four to one? Right, it's three four to one. one is is during training, but a little bit higher. Right, you know, for recovery is is better, and you know the, the chocolate milk has the you know higher protein. The goods. Yeah, um, it has the goods, but then some people can't tolerate. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, then, course. so then yes. you run into some issues there, and so you can use like I do oat milk, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they're saying and now the, the, oat the milk chocolate has, has the you know the antioxidants and the right. some anti-inflammatory properties. So I mean, I think chocolate milk is great, but I think all the products that are on the market for uh, recovery, which all mm-hmm. have a higher amount of protein, they're all they're all good. I would I would f- uh, try and get a product though that has an animal protein. 
as opposed to... Do you not have to make a face? It's okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, she made a face you couldn't see, but she was like, <laughs> animal protein. I know. Ey! Well, it just... Apologetic for... Yeah. Well, yeah. I I tried not to do as, as, you know, too much animal protein, but that's just because yeah. I care about the animals. Yeah. Um, but the animal protein, the whey protein is the best. Mm-hmm. That's going to help the most with recovery over a rice protein or a bean protein or a pea powder or any of those you know and, and do you sign up at all to uh the different you know different protein that causes different you know uh states of um uh what is it called release of hormones in our body or you don't sign up for that or do you believe in that i mean we're going super geeky in here yeah yeah because like they say testosterone and basically mm-hmm. make it in. um too geeky too much we can go backwards no, whey is a much better protein than soy right. Yes, for I recovery. Know that. Yes, and yeah. and so, you know, soy in high amounts could increase estrogen levels. That may not be mm-hmm. advantageous for a male, okay. but I will say for a female, estrogen has been shown to help repair muscle mm-hmm. and, and maintain muscle during menopause. So, estro, you know, hormone replacement therapy is actually a positive influence on muscle as it is on bone. Okay, and what. Whereas testosterone in men, obviously, and, and if a woman takes testosterone, there's there's huge benefits, yes. you know, as far as recovery and being able to train at a higher level, just as that would be the case mm-hmm. with men. But, you know, it's against the rules, so. <laughs> well, they, 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 gave, they don't know about it. Well, that's a whole other area. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should bring her here when we have Phil. And have that would be a great podcast. We had a one of our doctor's um, friends slash client friend. Um, he was a doctor for um, team. Uh, what's the name of the team? Slipstream. And he did the Tour de France with them four times. Giro d'Italia. So he was a team doctor, and he knows. I mean, he seems to really enjoy the whole thing. It'd be a fun conversation, I think, to have both you in the room talking about their needs and then what you think about what they do because i bet you a lot of these riders and knowing being in in, i used to race in europe um seeing the different superstitions that people have about what works and doesn't Mm -hmm. work and by the way a lot of time like we talked about this you know nathan i just said about uh, intermediate fasting it could be completely anecdotal we are maybe the two only people in the world that it works for them and just nobody tested us and maybe it works or or just it's in our Mm -hmm. mind and as we know our mind is a huge piece of what well makes i don't know i mean i think nathan said he always bonked and it would be disaster I'll say i say what you're gonna say i think i think maybe not first month and a half of doing this i was like no way this is a nightmare it's never going to happen and then um uh, i'm gonna <laughs> nathan is really did you yeah. did you do it initially to sustain your energy in an attempt to sustain your uh, some people about it was about having more even energy all day long mm-hmm. and and it also, I eased into it over about six months to eight months in, in a kind of a progressive way. And then the, the what really actually made it work for me in the end was the black coffee and no cream or sugar. Until that no stage, yeah. it didn't work at all, like no. strongly, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and up until doing this, I could not get past an hour of riding without having to take on a lot of calories without bonking. And this is the, it's the only time in my life I've ever been able to go for a five-hour bike ride and never bonk mm-hmm. it's the weirdest thing like so what would be interesting is to look at during that five-hour ride without bonking without eating mm-hmm. 
How much muscle breakdown are you having? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my so, fuel is really consistent, so. Mm-hmm. Right, but remember, if you break down muscle, those amino acids will be converted to glucose. Mm-hmm. And so you're also burning fat, but you're also, you're still using glucose. Mm-hmm. You're just using it by breaking down by your muscle. Burning muscle. And you won't be able to see that, but um, so my with time, and again, it's dependent on how intensely you're training. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're just going for a five-hour cruising ride. Let's say. Okay, a, that's a good amount. Like over the course of, you know, five mm-hmm. hours, but yeah. Yeah. So, but not like sprinting efforts, just steady, mm-hmm. steady pace effort for that. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, so th- I, I'm, I would, I'd love to know the answer to this because I don't know what it is. I've always speculated, but is the bonk, is it's when you run out of, glycogen right mm-hmm. and the bonk is your body shutting you down in order to find a new fuel source correct yeah you're not getting enough glucose to your brain which right. requires a constant supply of glucose yeah so it's kind of like you're so. like it's the automatic like i'm gonna shut you down until mm-hmm. i can find enough fuel to re reboot you basically yeah i mean you're shutting down but you're also breaking down muscle mm-hmm. during that it's okay. just not going to keep up with the intensity level of what you're attempting to do. Mm-hmm. You, when I used to bonk, it used to be like, I felt like I had literally had an mm-hmm. extension cord plugged into the wall the entire time and then it mm-hmm. came snapping out. Like that's how violent mm-hmm. it used to be when I'd run yeah. out of fuel. So it might be for you, the intermittent fasting works and for your level of of training. Maybe for my level body fat too. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe an athlete who's like at, hovering at 3% body fat could not pull that off mm-hmm. at all. But if I'm a lot higher than yeah, that. Maybe I and, can. you know, I've had students who've um, who've gone on the ketogenic diet, you know, and wrestlers, and and I, you know, I I I'd ask, well, how do you feel? And they go, well, I've lost, you know, this is great, I've lost like ten pounds. And I go, okay, yeah, but how do you feel? Well, I'm tired all the time. Maybe for you, you're not tired all the time, but and, and intermittent fasting is totally different than ketogenic i get that yeah. but i'm just saying you know those are the kind of things okay so I these students well yeah but i lost weight and that's great from for my sport but i'm tired all the time so then the question is well how, how's your performance well i'm not really competing anymore so <laughs> I, I have to be really again I'm, I'm it's funny i'm seeing both sides here like i would not recommend an athlete like one of my athletes any of them to do what i'm doing to be really fair, if I was training someone, okay, like my advice would be get the hell off of being doing this if you, they were doing it. So like if I was training you, Nathan, there is I, I bet you if you were training and there would be a coach that measures your wattage when you go for a riding and try to see results, you would find out very quickly that we what we're doing anecdotally feels good for us for what we're training, for what we're doing. And obviously... You have something, you have a spark, Nathan, that is unique. Obviously, your ability to ride downhill, you're, like, you're lucky enough to find a sport that your body is really good at. Like, when I say your body, I mean, like, your cognitive abilities, your, you know, um, hand-eye coordination. Like, you, you found a sport that just really suits you, and they're why you, that's why you so excel at it. But I think um, if you had a coach, like, at the level of Ginny, that would coach you like you had a goal like i want to win world championship two years from now okay like like something that could have happened for the right then you would find out probably that our diet very soon would start limiting you that's that's my also my personal like 
like anecdote from working with people. So I'm just gonna full yep. and like we go with that. Yes. Your power output. Mm -hmm. I would have. I would see what it was like with a month of eating regularly. You know, having a larger breakfast, a smaller dinner, um, feeling throughout, and seeing what you know on a certain certain intervals what your power output is and what your performance is looking like. And then we try the intermittent fasting, mm -hmm. you know, and I know you, t you said it took you six months to get to where you are. So, so maybe we try the intermittent, you would, you know, try the intermittent fasting first since you're already there. Right. See what that looks measure like. Things. And then measure things, which yeah. of course, if the intermittent fasting diets, you feel that it's working for you, it's going to be hard to convince you to, to not do it, to, to, to be able to see what it's like without it, which well, I get too. So, you know, when I, I mean, most of the, because I'm coaching now, but I'm mostly coaching juniors. Um, and, I, and I really follow Chris Carmichael's mm -hmm. training system. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, it, it follows it pretty closely. But, um, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really careful with, you know, what's working for you and give me the feedback and trying to accommodate, you know, um, to the athlete. I think so. I I do. I mean, I <laughs> I didn't. I well, I asked the question because I want information, no, right? Sure. Like that's not. So I'm not. You keep coming back to this. So and I wouldn't also recommend to anybody either. I don't, right? And yeah. I tell people very clearly, like I wouldn't have believed myself about this three years ago too. So it's not something that I think is close to being for everybody. And I will also say that I think. So here's a couple things. I've never trained with a power meter ever. I've never trained with a heart rate monitor. So I don't have baselines for all those in bits of information. It's just basically always used the same routes and time and things like that to mm -hmm. kind of and and I suspect that in a shorter hour output right now, I could not go as hard as I could have gone four years ago when I had like a big breakfast under my you know and like gone out for a ride an hour after that with a lot of glucose in my system i know i was faster for short efforts like up to an hour then mm -hmm. than i am now but past that i couldn't maintain um without bonking like i can yeah, so it's just a different it, output it might of energy be level, that your body has gotten used to you know very efficient at using fat mm -hmm. but you're also breaking down muscle there's there's no way around it you're you're definitely breaking down that performance that's going to be less than I which is build up muscle and Jenny can um, <laughs> I, do I look like I'm <laughs> losing muscles <laughs> like it's no. funny because I've since I've started doing this personally I've, I mean I'm about the same weight like I had I lost weight the, the, the beginning part of it and then I, I kind of went back gaining back to what it was and um but yes you're right the physiology is the physiology there's no yeah. way to change you'd it like we're not, look at body I'm not, I'm not there's you'd no way have yeah to, the I compound can't look at yeah. you. people look at me and they go oh what are you five percent and you know they no, said that to me all my life but, and i was like 23 percent yeah when i was first tested and i was yeah. like what do you like because i'm just a really tiny person but like now i'm probably around 20 percent and i'm a really small person you look at me and you you would guesstimate that i was much less mm -hmm. um but i've is, always been is above it true that 15 different people store fat in different places is that a real thing like yeah oh yeah yeah right because yeah. i remember that from our, like the yeah. beer it's belly the thing is, a, is a, yeah, the yes. subcutaneous yeah yeah. yeah 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 and it's also this areas like different people have not stored in different like mass areas in their body right like oh you want to say something uh, yeah yeah, yeah. 
I want to ask a question because we just talked about the visceral versus the subcutaneous, and mm. my understanding is the visceral is not a healthy kind to have. Why no. is that? No, well, because it's it's surrounding your internal organs, mm-hmm. and it just greatly increases your risk for heart disease and type two diabetes. Okay, just because it's it's blocking oh, it's, the organs, it's, or no, it's so related to insulin resistance, your ability mm. to utilize insulin even though you're producing it um and then and um and then it's related to uh increase in triglycerides decrease in your hdl levels Mm -hmm. um and increase in glucose levels so it's it's like the um i can't think of the word right next of um you know they're all connected and related the and it it, you know, the visceral fat is much more strongly related to to abnormal hormone levels and um, lipids. Subcutaneous or visceral? Visceral. Vis- okay. Visceral. So inside, so when it's visceral. under your... It's surrounding your internal organs. Mm-hmm. So you can't, when if you're like you're doing, if I'm doing skin folds to measure body comp, mm-hmm. I can't get to the visceral fat. So right. it's not a great, it's not a great tool. Yeah. For me to use, um, I can do. I can measure subcutaneous fat really well, but I can't get to the visceral. Um, so there's actually built into the equations that we use for skin folds. Uh, we put in age because then the older you get, the more fat you store viscerally, and so it tries to account for the amount of visceral fat. And the formulas are actually based on, uh, you know, they'll take a large group of subjects, and they'll they'll do like geometry it's it's usually to measure bone mass mm-hmm. but you can get a very direct measure of body fat in every area of your body visceral subcutaneous every part so it's the like the gold standard of body fat and then you can then they'll take a large group of people and you know give them dexas but they'll also do skin folds and then they'll correlate and then they'll that's make leading. a linear regression line that's and my give question. you a formula. That's lead. I think that's the answer to my question because I was wondering yeah. like, how can you, uh, like body mass is body mass, right? You know mm-hmm. how much body fat you have total in your body, but how do you know how much of it's stored subcutaneous and how much of it's stored visceral? Like, you it's you just can't do that by with skin folds, but you can do it with a DEXA scan. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still some level of guesstimation to it, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. based on averages. DEXA, no, DEXA is really exact, but you can't take the average person on the street and do a DEXA because it's, you know, for body fat, they're not Uh going to do that. Um, And we don't even have, not that I know of, at least in Southern Oregon, the DEXA scans here aren't set up to even do body fat. You have to go to a research laboratory like OSU. Their machines are really high end and it's actually measuring body fat within 1%. Uh So, but for a research study, okay, and to try and get a skin fold equation, that's going to be accurate. They will correlate you know, the subject's DEXA, the body fat from DEXA with their body fat they get from skin folds. Mm -hmm. And they'll do the correlation and they'll actually make, um, we call it linear regression. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's basically a correlation where you create a formula from that correlation. And so when you do uh, skin folds to, we'll say predict body fat, Mm -hmm. you're predicting that based on uh, this regression using the DEXA scans. So you can get a, um, a body fat equation for skin folds that has a pretty good, um, uh, you know, quality. Mm-hmm. You know, like accuracy. Accuracy, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty good accuracy uh, in determining body fat 
uh, because the equation that was made, that was based on the linear regression from the DEXA, uh, puts the visceral fat component in there. Mm -hmm. And so now you can use this equation and you're, you're, you're kind of got an estimate of what the visceral fat is okay. with the equation. Does, your, does a person's body burn visceral fat at the same rate as subcutaneous in an exercise situation? You know, it's, that's going to be really individualistic. Right, right. If you really have these two tanks, to, you get these two tanks yeah. of fuel on you, right? Like, which, how does it choose which one's reserved yeah, and which really, one's primary? It's, it's really hard, but as you get older, you're going to store more viscerally. Mm -hmm. that's, and so, in all the skinful equations, age is into that equation, and it's weighted with... How much with of a it number, is like so, like you're multiplying your age by a weighted number that came from the DEXA scan. Well, so here's a question because I've seen this before with other things. Um, how much of that measurement, and this is could be a total anecdotal for you too, um, is swayed by the fact that, for instance, most population in America is obese, mm -hmm. and so now you get numbers that are not not really helpful for athletes because the i think the measurement needs to be done separately for athletes they do they do that they, they do, do cyclists they got certain population that i might be testing this brings up a, a secondary question to that or a tangent is, is that is there like a a sweet spot for each one of these categories of athletes like for cyclists versus swimmers versus wrestlers like yeah, yeah. is there a body type like as far as like how much fat you store is there always a better situation? Like, is less always better? Or is there some cases with some sports where more body fat's better? I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah, some, yeah, some sports, more body fat's better. Um, Actually, cycling is one of them. Cycling body fat is between 9 and 13% mm -hmm. on ma male, usually, which is yeah. considered to be higher. So if you look at, like, people on the tour and you're like they have no fat on them what you're a lot of times seeing is actually dehydrated getting too low fat and by the way you're the professor here tell me if i'm I totally think you're wrong. gonna say exactly what i'm gonna say uh, if, if you get too low on fat you start having like actually joint issues there's other things that starts to happen when you have too low body fat with um, cycling yeah you 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 really compromise your immune system yeah. so oh, yeah, you get sick a lot more mm -hmm. so i have a story <laughs> which i tell I was 19 and 20, and so I've been doing it a long time. And there was a, a woman who came out, and she was, you know, I raced with her, and she was a very average racer. She was, a, like, you know, 120 pounds, 5'4", very average all the way around. And, you know, I didn't think, it, think anything, you know, nothing special. Average in the race, average in the finish. Comes back the next day, and she's really, really thin. And... You know, so there was definitely some eating component there and some uh, issues. Um, but boy, she could climb. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it was, she was like, she, I mean, besides Rebecca Twig at the time, she was like second in line there. I mean, mm -hmm. she was, you know, national team all of a sudden. I mean, it was tremendous. I mean, the year was amazing. And then she got sick. Mm-hmm. And she never raced again. She got mono. She got Epstein Barr. Mm -hmm. So it was one mm -hmm. year at that really low right. body weight. So, so she could only maintain that that performance and health for a certain amount of time. So I always tell, especially the juniors I work with, is food is fuel. It's super important, and it's 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 as as important as your training. And you won't be able to train without the fuel. Mm -hmm. And we got to get this right. Um, so when I was also younger, I rode with, um, junior boys and, um, they, they were, you know, they're, they're, they were right. They were very high end juniors and they were, so they're riding a lot and they're growing <laughs> and they're, they're eating, but they were just putting 
they were just expending so much right. more energy than they were they were taking in so one was like um one was three percent and he was okay i mean that's pretty low uh i mean it's really low mm-hmm. but it's a junior and like i said they're growing and they're expending energy and we we're just kind of watching him and then it got to like two percent and then he was just chronically sick mm-hmm. chronically sick so what so uh, what's the point of getting that low i mean you're not going to have any performance because you're going to be chronically sick. And, and if you get to zero, you're dead. <laughs> right. right. So I mean. <laughs> so I'm a big <laughs> proponent of, you know, food is fuel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just I work with the juniors a lot because I know they're growing. It's armoring, too. It's fuel and it's also armoring against it your I mean, for your immune system and for yeah. your, your overall performance, well, overall health. Yeah. And so, and so the question was, do certain sports have you know, they have more um, body fat than mm-hmm. others. Well, yeah, you're right. Cyclists, is, they, they tip, I mean, they, in the, some, there's some really, really lean guys in, in the tour, in the European peloton, but, I mean, Tadi Bogace isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the picture of health. Mm-hmm. He's a picture of performance, of sportsmanship, and of health. Um, Jan, El- Jan Ulrich was never <laughs> the picture Jan of, like, Ulrich super wasn't, thin Well, he'll still get over the mountains. He's not going to yeah. be a... Um, He's, he's no Pantini. He's, no, no, no he's not. Pen, yeah, he's not Pantani, but he, uh, he's also he's also not going <laughs> to be. Pantani uh, can start a whole different conversation. He's not. He's not going to be a GC. Your... He's not going to be no. a GC. Correct. Um, but you also have to look at uh, genetics play in a huge right. amount into your body. Your what you know what your body type well, is. So well, we, we have talk, like. So you know what's what's interesting is Ginny here is talking about always going into, like she's talking about like this. The one percentile of the one percentile. When we talk, when this conversation we're having right now is maybe, like, we're we're one percentile in like a certain area, maybe. But she's then talking about that. Like, if we're talking about Tour de France level. That's a whole different. Like, that's the next. Like, we're at the bottom of that percentile, and they're the one percentile of that of that level. And so I think she's there and we're we're maybe a little bit too low for the the conversation and the the intensity. Right, so the science that she's talking about, and this is because I think person, and w- this is um, yeah, so, and the the science is also done with like athletes who mm-hmm. are trained athletes, right? Who are right, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. All and, the science is done with the trained athletes. And what yeah. me and Nathan are doing is not science; it's just anecdotal. It's very. I'm going back to say this again. It it doesn't matter. It's still anecdotal. It is still not the science, because the reality is the science is not saying that what we're saying is correct. Plus, we we are. I mean, she's right. Like the physiology of our body is the same as everyone else, and so yes, our muscles are getting used. But for me, like I said, I want to go back to like I want to just like get myself out of this hole for myself. I'll give you the yeah. mic in a second. There's also a mental thing that was important for me, and that that did the job. Like meaning mm-hmm. the mental piece of like not being hangry, and right. and learning how to control. Like it's okay to be hungry. Like I used to be not be equated with it. Like I, it, it was like I would eat and then be obsessed already at what I'm going to eat next because if I'm not going to eat next, I'm going to have an issue, and I don't want to get to that issue. So I want to make sure that I eat. And yeah. so there was a like I said, a psychological point of like I can control my hunger. Yeah, I'm just going to say that's that's a that's a large component of intermittent fasting is having that control, knowing what what is the time frame that I can eat in, and I'm not going to eat outside of that time frame, and that gives people control, and then they're not thinking about food all the time and and that's a very that's a positive aspect for a lot of people of the intermittent fasting diet um but it's it's efficient in a day caution against 
using that for high performance athletes and training yeah i just gotta say as we're closing this down too that jenny did such a good job of keeping us on track yes my goodness it, we've except, never had such a linear non-jumping around except I, I i don't, I don't want to change completely change the subject i know we're out of time but i never really finished with the masters athlete in oh. the decline so i just wanted to say that what you said about um about you know busy lives had the rest so having huge and i've had insomnia troubles my entire life since a kid so sleep has always been a really hard thing um and i a lot of people you know set set their alarm and get up i'm, I'm at a stage now where I, I don't have to get up in the morning yeah. and i don't i don't force myself to get up at a certain time because sleep is more important if i'm sleeping like this morning i was sleeping and then one of the, my dogs barked and then you know it, there's always something and i'm up like my wife I don't know, how many right how many times a night That's um <laughs> her, her you know so many times but because i might be up for a couple hours stretch or whatever yeah. i'll just sleep later so as a master's athlete, any athlete, and I'd say this to the juniors, that sleep, and of course the juniors just like, you know, sorry, you can't see my hand, but it's like over their head. It's like, you know, I keep saying sleep is such a huge component to yeah. your recovery and training, and it just remains the same um, through, you know, um, being an older athlete. And then your nutrition is hugely important, and, um, you Drink know, trying to manage, people. yeah, and trying to manage, Seriously. you know, your your responsibilities. Um, yeah. And I think that the 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 athletes that then retire, they have more time on their hands, and um, that's you're seeing some of that with the really high end, sixty plus year olds that they have more time on their hands. Their their kids are grown, yeah. they're out of the house, they're retired. Life I, is I, good. I wanted <laughs> to say that's exactly like if you see a lot of the like. I'm saying older here in, in quotation, like 40 plus, a lot of time become really, it's like really competitive um, uh, age group because people do like they're, it's usually like you have a little bit more money, you, your time is, is usually better because your kids are older if you have kids. And so, and obviously your, your brain is in the right spot, right? And so your life is more linear, also more like, you know, what's next morning is going to be like, which, so that's why that, that age group, like. I want to say like 38 to like 48 is massively like hard and and, and yeah it's and it's super hard and in fact i was my fittest uh between 44 to 49 yeah well there you go another and uh, yeah, then hit 50 no no <laughs> the decline started. I, I just hope yeah. you know i remember always my friends when i was 25 oh you wait till you're 30 then right, i got yeah. to 30 ah wait till you're 35 that's when everything goes to hell and I'm just hoping it's not there, but uh, I want to give Nathan. Well, do this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up afterwards. Okay. It's just a quick thing on what you said, like the the people who are 25, wait till you're 30, then wait till you're 40. It's like usually they're not athletes. Yeah. They say that they're people who have never been athletes, and so they just don't get the athletic mindset that you. <laughs>